Here we go, rejecting the screen. Noah Kozlov out here on the East Coast, out West. Fresh out of the ER. Adam <laughs> Stenko. Just two plugged in dudes talking hoops and a little bit of life. One of us was actually plugged in <laughs> earlier today. <laughs> Being told he's okay. But Adam's, he'll tell you, been battling what he has long thought has been COVID, but it's not because the tests keep coming back negative. Can't figure out what it is, but he is here smiling as we record this on Monday afternoon. Pal, good to see you. It's good to see you. And don't worry, listeners. You can't catch it from listening to us. No, a great moment before we started. I turned to my wife after being in the ER all night. I couldn't sleep, so ended up in the ER testing me for all of this this major stuff with my heart, blood, all all the the typical tests to make sure that somebody's going to be okay. So I get home, sleep a little bit, get up, and I'm like, babe, I got to jump on with Noah real quick. And she goes, podcast? And she gave that look, Noah. (laughs) You know that? Really? Really? We can't spend five minutes to go over what the uh, medical evaluation was, but you're jumping on a basketball. Just tell her to listen to the show. I said, it's about a little bit of life. You know that. You know it's about a little bit of life. Honey, you want the latest on my health, my EKG results? You got to listen to the show. We'll tease it in the beginning and you'll get it at the end. There's no no skipping. You got to listen through the whole thing. Don't do it at one and a half speed. Listen to the ad too. It helps. Go into my health portal. And when it says, how did you hear about us? You type in locked. Yes. You get 25% off my next visit, which will most likely be next week. Leave a review on iTunes. Oh, boy. Yeah, you haven't slept a whole lot. We're going to talk about the NBA's COVID plans. We're also going to talk about a little bit of life at the end, a little story time as we do in the offseason, since the Snoop story last week was so great. And then Snoop became the broadcasting hero over the weekend for his work (laughs) on the Tyson fight and the Jake Paul, Nate Robinson, whatever that was, battle. Debacle. So let's let's start with media. And in Richard Deitch, he did a Q&A last week. Richard Deitch, the longtime media reporter for Sports Illustrated, moved over to The Athletic a year or two ago. He spoke with Andre Iguodal, who's known as a media darling, put that in quotes. And Iguodala's Q&A was very similar. It was almost like an abridged version of the Full 48 podcast that Iguodala did with Howard Beck a while back. And a few things stood out. One was about building relationships and having this work as a two-way street, but not understanding the difference between journalists and Twitter. And here's the first quote. But it is what it is in terms of that, and you can never fully trust. And that's just not about a media person, but being a professional athlete, that word trust is really hard to find. It's hard to find someone who can truly embody that word. I think guys just try to keep it as light as possible. You see guys be more PC than ever, but you also see people build relationships with certain journalists, especially the Twitter journalists who are breaking all the news. It's an interesting landscape. 
So Twitter journalists breaking news. That's what got me because it's journalists who are breaking news on Twitter. There's this Twitter journalist isn't breaking mm-hmm. news. Would you, would you call Adrian Wojnarowski and Cham Shinaria Twitter journalists? No, they're the two biggest news breakers in the NBA. Would you call Sam Amick a Twitter journalist for breaking news? No. Chris Haynes, Yahoo, no. So what's troubling is, Adam, and we'll get to more of his quotes also, what's troubling is that athletes and, and someone as bright and seemingly with it as Andre Iguodala is can't tell the difference between Twitter, quote-unquote, media, or just simply Twitter voices, which are oftentimes just fans, and journalism. It's fascinating that he mentioned it in that way. Like you said, Twitter is a platform for journalists. And we often reference NBA Twitter. And when we reference NBA Twitter, we are never talking about Shams. We are never talking about Woj. We are talking about prominent writers, um, Chris Haynes, uh, Dave McMiniman. The guys who tweet and talk about LeBron's legacy or the guys that talk about, oh, Giannis, I bet hates Milwaukee. He's going to bounce like and throw out this ridiculous speculation, the stuff that you probably could say you can't trust as those things don't come from journalists. They come from just guys out on Twitter, maybe talking about the uh, worldwide wobs, right? Maybe, maybe you're talking about some people that have podcasts like you and I, but you wouldn't refer to, to us in those ways as, again, like Twitter journalists. Again, it always comes down to the platform as opposed to who the actual person that's revealing this news and the guys that break stories and that NBA players are giving stories to and who they want to earn the trust of that. I I think it's become that it's scary because if Andre Iguodala, to your point, can't tell the difference, then the casual fan will think there's no difference either. And that's, and that's what would worry me. I wish I remember in in Howard's conversation, I, I, I wish he had asked and I wish Richard had asked here so so who are the the Twitter journalists mm-hmm. specifically? Who mm-hmm. who are you who are you referring to? And then kind of gone down that road. He also says the question was asked, what can a media person do to earn your respect or trust? And he said, ultimately it's just don't try to use me for your platform or for yourself. Well, it's a two-way street. Journalists need the players. Mm-hmm. If they're going to be writing features, if they're going to be writing analysis and the players themselves, as much as they'll say, and others will say, we can do it on our own. They need the journalists also because that player just isn't going to, after a game, just shun the media and do everything turn on his camera and ask himself questions. I mean, you're really then only getting one side of things you need. It's a, it's a journalist job to present all sides. And that's why 
journalists ask certain questions. So that so that bothered me as well. And it, it also made me think, well, who exactly are you talking about? And he went on to say, the question was, how much does the public ultimately learn from the media? And he says, well, it depends on who's writing it. And a lot of people don't understand that certain writers are affiliated with certain teams. We've, we've talked about like heat media and Justin Termini <laughs> was on with us from, from Sirius XM NBA radio a while back about rooting for the team. Well, 98% of journalists who are covering the team, covering the sport, you're affiliated with a team because that might be, that's your beat. Like you're following that team. You need access to that team. So you're not going to blow the lid off the organization every single day and expose them every single day because then there has to be some sort of give and take. And that's not disingenuous. He goes on to say, it might be a writer who works for a certain publication. They might have a great relationship with the GM or owner. They'll write articles that put the team in a great light. And that may not be the real case. Well, then if that's the case, then on the team that you're on and you want to present the other side, then find a writer that will listen to the other side. There are always options. So I'm tired. I'm, I'm a bit tired of the scapegoating here. Here's the one for me, Noah, that you you mentioned a moment ago, and that's the idea that it's mutually beneficial between between the player and the, and the member of the media. How about all the times we hear of things happening the other way? How is it that players who currently don't have a platform that they specifically use in which to grant trade requests? In other words, there are other professional organizations in which there's actually a formal process in which you can make a, a trade request or a trade demand. Obviously, the NBA doesn't have that. So how do we hear about this player wants out, this player is forcing his hand out, other than rejecting, let's say, an extension offer that's put forth by the team? Oh, well, you hear it through a media leak. Well, how does that happen? Either the player put it out there or his agent put it out there. Um, awards voting, same thing. The players using media members in order to get what it is that they want. And then... The second point that you're making, um, as it pertains to, well, the team is looking to use media members to put them in the best light. First of all, if there are journalists who cover a specific beat, and I don't care whether it's the Thunder, the Magic, the Wolves, it, it doesn't matter the team, but they need to put out content constantly that involves the team that they're covering. And by the way, there's also nat natural bias that takes place. There's no question. But here's the thing. On Twitter, do you know of any, any journalists who cover a specific team, a specific beat, that don't have it in their bio? I mean, there, there's total transparency there. That's the other part. It's not mm -hmm. like this is a hidden agenda where, oh, I didn't realize that guy's been working for team x for the last 10 years covering the team the guys splash it all over their their home it's on their bio all, everything that you can talk about well i think there's a difference between working for the team and then and covering the team and there are now more and more 
journalists on the inside who are actually working for the team, but it's not, but that's the type of stuff that doesn't get amplified on Twitter. Those types of stories don't I mean that's, that's the team's media. And so that's completely understandable. It's the, the journalists who cover the team fans have long thought that the journalists who cover the team should be fans of the team and should be rooting for that team. Fans have long thought that. And now players think that too? That's disappointing. I, I totally agree with that. And again, it's this idea that I think it's in a way, it's, it's, it's a myth. There, there are plenty of... There are plenty of journalists who are trying to do who are trying to do their job. And by their job, it means they want to report on what's taking place. The the problem is that a lot of times I think that it's it's what people want to consume. They want stuff that's going to be clickbait. So we know that that has an attraction that's out there. And we now have this whole new offshoot of journalism that's become. I'm going to take the contrarian viewpoint because it will get a lot of attention. So again, if you're talking about Skip Bayless, who's going to be taking shots on James, and we all know that that's going to take place between the two of them, that's what people go for. And they, and they, in a way, appreciate that. But no one is taking it seriously. And LeBron James's legacy, or the way we're going to view his career on the whole, is not going to be changed because of what Skip Bayless tweets about LeBron. And that's the other thing that I think that hangs a shadow over all of this. And that's this new age of everyone now is worried about their place in history. The great players worry about their place in history. How many rings do I need to get in order to be thought of in a different way historically? Uh, are the rings, as you've mentioned many times, are they, are they uh, received in the right way? Did I earn my ring? In other words, or or was you know was I the fourth guy on the team, fourth best guy on the team, the fifth best guy, or was I a key player for this organization? And so everyone is sort of you wonder why they're jockeying for this idea of legacy as opposed to appreciating the greatness that is now. But I think part of it is everyone's so worried about how they they determine their legacy that they're also trying to use the media in order to make that happen. And that's where again it becomes a two way street and. It's just wild to me that Andre Iguodala would talk about it in this way. He understands the game. He understands why guys do it. And he understands that fans understand the difference between the different media members. I think, I think it's funny when, when you ask players, anytime you ask a player about their legacy, they'll say, that's not up for me to decide. That's up <laughs> for you all to debate. And then when anyone debates it, it's who are you? Who are you to decide my place in the game? <laughs> the greatest one, the greatest one ever in bronze, though. After after coming back against the Warriors down three one, he makes the proclamation. That's when I became the greatest player of all time. <laughs> but the funny thing is, to your point, that's the thing. Here LeBron goes out and says it like in his mind, that's when he determined that he was the greatest of all time. Like, okay, that's his opinion. He's of course entitled to that. But yeah, it's it's so funny that anytime that it's a it's a media member who is paid basically to evaluate and make these comparisons, 
And I had I had this thought. I just have to say, I had this thought the other day about about greatness and how we rank guys all time. And I just think it's incredible. Like we can't even determine now if you took all of the media members that you respect and said, "Hey, NBA players one through ten, you'd basically get a bunch of different lists, right? You you might have the same guys on the list, but I'm just saying the order would be would be different. So now it's just to think about how ridiculous it is to then compare eras to compare different competition, to compare different equipment and workout ability, it's unbelievable. But yet, that's the thing. The only people who are really equipped to do that are ones who have examined the game for a long time, those journalists. And anytime they actually do, to your point, they immediately get raked over the coals. Hey, this guy didn't play past 10th grade. Well, who's he to say? Washed king. All right, so the first thing to evaluate about this upcoming NBA season is COVID protocols. Is the NBA the next NFL? Built Go, though, when you rank it in your top 10 parts of your workout routine, Built Go is right up there because it's tough to work out without it. Whether Mm -hmm. you need to get through a mental wall or a physical wall, you can break through it every day with Go, with Built Go. Ounce and a half packages, peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, chocolate, milk, suck it right out. It's five hour energy without that crash later. And it's so much better for your body. You get that kick of caffeine with the collagen protein, which is fast absorbing, good for your, good on your stomach and, and good for you with promoting joint health and skin health, soft tissue, hair health. It, it, maybe that's why you got a, Actually, maybe we shouldn't say that that this could be the reason why you got a positive EKG result because I don't want to put that on Built Go. But I'm just saying you did get positive results. So, Kate. Clean, clean bill of health. Kate, if you're listening, this is the portion of the show where you now know your husband's EKG results. It, it was during the ad. Significant. During the ad. Don't fast forward through the ad. And if you do... And then you say, well, you guys didn't talk about it. Well, then we know that you fast-forwarded through the ad. Visit BuiltGo.com. Use the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D. Get 20% off your next order. Promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E-D. 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go. We appreciate all the positive feedback. And you can go back and listen to any number of the Going ISO editions because they're timely whenever. Rarely are we talking about something that is happening right now with legendary journalist Peter Vesey, since we're talking about journalism. Howard Beck as well. We spoke with Ryan Russillo, and that was at the beginning of our run here on Locked On, and that still holds up. Then you can listen to Sam Mitchell and Richard Jefferson, two guys also in the media, and so many more. So we do suggest going back and listening to those and how about reggie theus the story that he told that he was asked by david stern to be the host of this new show called inside stuff but he wanted to keep playing so he could have been ahmad rashad he could have been saying in rewind so you can find all of those the going iso edition of rejecting the screen Will the NBA become the NFL this season? 
I used the word disingenuous before when discussing Andre Godala's comments about the media. I find the NFL, and I have for a number of years, to be disingenuous, arbitrary with their punishments. I remember being in a room, it's like 20 of us, journalists, part of an Associated Press thing with Roger Goodell. And mm-hmm. it was soon after the Ray Rice situation. And, mm-hmm. and I think it might have been Jeff Pash or whoever was making the rules or, you know, making the punishments. And I asked both of them. So to me, these, I said to them, to me, these punishments seem arbitrary that you'd get four games for this, but also four games for that. There, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of, consistency behind certain rulings and he said well each one is different when you say that that gives you the authority to just make up your rules as you go and that's what the nfl is doing with covid protocols you see all these commercials for protect your families this that like from the nfl during games they don't they don't care the 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 rules are there are arbitrary and nobody has handled the virus outside of a bubble and that's what we've learned so the nba's got the nba shut down in march because of one positive test rudy gobert and there was so much uncertainty then so much uncertainty we had no idea what was coming you could argue that the nba did know what was coming because of everything that was going on in china and their offices in china and all the intel that they have in china but What do we know now that we didn't know then? Well, we know that this virus cannot be controlled in without a bubble. And the NBA is saying, essentially, we know we're going to have positive tests. We just hope it's not major outbreaks. So proceed with caution. So I've had this this weird undiagnosed illness that can't figure out. I've had chest pains, a whole bunch of different symptoms that are very strange, achy, headaches, chills, um, strange, strange symptoms. Taking two different COVID swab tests as well as an antibody test, all come back negative. I had to go to the ER last night. Reason being, again, couldn't sleep. My wife was freaking out and she wants me around for a little while. So she said, hey, it, this bothered me. Just please just go go to the ER. And I was supposed to get a chest X-ray this morning, just a few hours later. I was like, babe, I, I'm getting a chest X-ray anyway. No, she said, go, go, go. I end up going to the emergency room, and they run all these tests and rule out a whole bunch of things. But the one thing the doctor said, and now I've heard multiple times from different doctors, but this time it was in the emergency room, is that we've shown up negative a couple of times. This could still be COVID. And that's what's crazy to me about all this, is that we still don't have a handle on this whole thing. That this could still be COVID, which, again, not only means that I would need to think about what's going on internally with me and may not get answers ever, but also that I could then be someone who has it and is spreading it while still getting two negative tests already and could have had a third yesterday, but the physician basically said, hey, even if we test you and you show up with COVID, I would not give you any different treatment plan or anything else. And we're just going to have to see how long your, your symptoms sort of persist for. So the point being, 
this is such a problem because we don't even know. This is this is physicians at an emergency room still don't have a sense, even when they have all this information in front of them about who's showing up and what it could mean. And then, of course, the long-term health effects, as you and I have talked about for a long time. And here's the problem. If you don't have a contained bubble in which you're handling this testing, but you're also saying, hey, we in this area are treating the way. I mean, Santa Clara County has their own determination about how they're treating things, which means the 49ers have had to move where they're playing their home games because they're not even allowed to have home games there right now. And so I've seen the same thing happen in Berkeley, California, about how they handle contact tracing, how it's affecting college sports. Everyone is handling this thing differently. And there is no sort of body, if you will, over how this whole thing is to be handled. The NBA had that. And I'm a little bit fearful as this starts to branch out that the NBA's control, biggest word, most important word during the bubble was that the NBA had full control over what the players did. We talked to Ben Golliver in one of our Going ISO episodes, and and he laid out exactly what it was like to be in the bubble and how restrictive things were for the players, for the media members, for the coaching staff, and how everyone had sort of a different level of restriction based upon where they were. That control now, as you start to spread it out among cities all over the country, that control goes away. And that's my fear for the NBA right now, Noah, as as we start to see positive tests pop up here and there and that lack of control. And look, we're hoping there's there's the vaccine very shortly. But still, as these things pop up, the NBA is not going to be able to control it in the same way. I'm so curious to see how they're handling things as a governing body and what they're going to do in the best interest of their players and everyone else associated with the league. What's wild is that players were given the option and coaches were to opt out of the bubble for health and safety reasons. Mm -hmm. When in fact, the bubble was the safest place in the world that you could have been like Lionel Hollins, Lakers assistant coach did not go for health and safety reasons. And and maybe some guys didn't want to go. They didn't want to get hurt. They don't want to be away from the family for so long. So what if a player says, well, we aren't anywhere close to being safe. I don't, I don't want to play now. We haven't heard that yet. We haven't heard that option presented. Or if a coach, does, does he still get paid? What about a coach? What if they don't feel safe? And Because what you're asking is, you're asking players to go to their arena, play, come home. Don't go anywhere else. I'll take it from a personal standpoint. I turned down my college football schedule this year because I was told that you got to be on site. We're calling games from on site. Now, in, I live in New York City. For me to come back into New York State even, I'd had to quarantine. I can't, I can't quarantine in my apartment. Can't do it. And our priority as a family was to make sure that Eden, our daughter, first grader, could be in school as much as possible as part of a hybrid model. If I'm in a, a state where cases are rising in one of those flag states, and then around her, she can't go into school. She has to be, she has to be home. So I opted out. I'm not getting paid for those games. Mm-hmm. I chose, we made a family decision. We chose our health and safety, yes, but 
more so we chose Eden's education over whatever money I was be making from calling college football games. I didn't, I didn't get paid. What, so what about, what about the players? What if the players are in the same position? How are they going to be treated? All great questions. And there's, there's one thing that's popping up now and we will continue to see, and we don't know because it's always the race for the cure, right? The race for the, the vaccine, um, uh, up against the, the number of cases that continue to rise. The one thing that I am concerned about is I, as I look ahead, and I think where basketball has a major issue is because it's a winter sport. And you know, we already saw it from the Thanksgiving returns, the people together as families, you know they're going to want to do that around the Christmas holidays too, the Jewish high holy days, right? The, the, as, you, as you start to get together for, to congregate, especially in cities in which it's cold, people are going to be getting together, which is going to spread the virus even more. We know that. We know that's coming. And my question as we go forward, and this is where I think basketball is going to get hit by this, and football being a fall sport may not be hit as bad, although obviously it rolls into the winter too, is that there is starting to become a movement where people are asking, front frontline workers, healthcare workers are asking, how come professional athletes are getting tested as much as they are? How come college athletes are getting tested as much as they are daily, tested daily to make sure they're okay so they can play a sport? Well, what about us that are on the front lines? Or what about people in schools? What about the teachers and the parents that want their kids back in schools? How come tests aren't available there? And I think that is the other big question that we have to ask ourselves. And I think basketball is going to get hit with this, is that as the case numbers just continue to rise, and just increase exponentially. Now you're going to see this movement continue where people say, well, wait a minute, why are these NBA players allowed to play and travel all over the country? And we know they're safe because they're getting tested every day. And even some are popping up with, with positive tests, but why are they getting these tests available to them? And I, as a, as a nurse or I, as uh, as a, as a physician, how come I am not getting the same ability to get tested? And I think that's going to become a major issue and it's going to hit square in the middle of basketball season. And that's the, the PR hit that the NBA does not want to deal with, but they're going to be faced with it. Look, we want it to work. Yeah. We're just presenting the other side coming up. Another Nerland's Noel story. <laughs> All right. Maybe Snoop. A little bit of life. If you want to get basketball smart, listen to Hollinger and Duncan. It's all part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's not just your team every day. Hollinger and Duncan with NBA analytics pioneer, front office insider, John Hollinger. He's with Nate Duncan, the host of the Dunked On Podcast, to bring you scouting reports, game breakdowns, salary cap analysis, Subscribe to Hollinger and Duncan today, wherever you get your podcasts. And you can also listen to each one of them individually with us. You can find it in the rejecting the screen feed, going ISO, Nate Duncan, going ISO, John Hollinger. No update on the job front. I'll let you know when it does happen. Clock is ticking. And I am grinding my teeth. So I'm going to pull back from story time until then. Okay. 
Because as I've said, either way, there's going to be a story after that. Last week, Adam's story caught fire. And it was such a great one that started with Nerland's Noel. And I kept expecting Nerland's Noel to come back into the story. But it was all about <laughs> Snoop and Snoop Dogg, Snoop Lion. Snoop Dogg would have just left. Snoop Lion is telling you that I'm leaving. About cutting the ESPN car wash interviews short back in the day. And it's great because then you had former ESPN colleagues of yours saying, ah, what a story. It's so great. I'm so glad you told that story. So what do you got today? That's interesting, too. A lot of them said, yep, that's that's all true. So a lot of the old talent bookers said, yep, I can confirm it's true. And if you if you look at some of the tweets I had, you'll see that uh, some of the money being tossed around was was pretty crazy, even wilder than than I think I knew about the story. So um, I wanted to go back in college. I went to Ithaca College, upstate New York. And Noah, are you familiar with the Ithaca College mascot? I went to Ithaca once. Okay. And it's, it's, it's not a gorge, is it? No, that's a, that's a great one. Everyone knows it from the, the slogan, Ithaca is gorgeous, um, which my advertising professor came up with. But no. Really? That is, that, yes. Yeah. You get, awesome. you, get, you, get pay, you get paid big for that? I don't know, but I see t-shirts and bumper stickers everywhere that say that. That's what people know Ithaca for, that in Ithaca University in, um, oh, what's that? Road trip. No, I'm not going to be in road trip. Yep. Yep. Okay. So it's Ithaca College, though, for people. It's not, I think an Ithaca College guy wrote it. And they just changed it to Ithaca University. And that's not what the school looks like. So so people are aware. Okay. So upstate New York, Ithaca College, our mascot is the Bombers, which I don't I don't even know if like can't imagine, you know, the the PC folks are, you know, how that still works nowadays. I, I don't even know if it's been changed at this point. But that was the mascot. And we had the worst looking mascot you know like the old school bomber pilots you you know that you know the look they got the the special helmet and all, all that kind of stuff got the goggles our mascot was basically just somebody running around in what was a mascot head of like a bomber pilot but then they just wore whatever for their clothes like they didn't decide to like fully commit to an entire mascot costume when i was in college so one one Saturday morning, we get up very early, pregame for the football game. Very early, we start the drinking, right? We we start the drinking very early in the dorm room. It to the point that I was I was pretty sick from from all the drinking that we had done before we even leave the dorm. And I'm talking pretty early. I, I want to say it was like a noon kickoff or something. So we had been going at it for hours. We stumble into the stadium beautiful stadium off the rocks there overlooks the the lake there it's 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 beautiful so we get there at the time i'm wearing a big leather bomber jacket okay this is what happens at d3 schools noah i'm there drunk drunk i can barely walk and stuff turns out the mascot like got sick and couldn't come to the game. So someone came to me and said, Hey, we know you're outgoing. 
and you're wearing a big leather jacket, can you be the mascot? <laughs> so the next thing I know, I am like trying to hype up the crowd. And no, again, I'm in jeans and just my, but the same thing I wore. All I did was put on the, the mascot head, this bomber head. And I'm going around trying to, to hype up the crowd stuff, like, you know, getting people out of their seats. But I also couldn't really walk. So <laughs> I'm like falling over. I'm tipsy, all that. And I think at some point when I was going over to try to get some little kids up, like out of their seats, like walking over to them, like telling them, come on. And it looked like I was yelling at them. At that point was when someone grabbed me and realized this probably isn't a good idea. No longer should you be the Ithaca College Bombers mascot today in our football game. Your buddies must have been dying when they're, when they're next to you when someone comes up and says, hey, can you be the mascot? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> they're like, he drank more than I did. What is going on right now? Well, the most entertaining thing that's happened at an Ithaca football game in years and since. No doubt. No doubt. New Orleans Noel was not there. <laughs> we'll get to him. All right, Frank Isola, unavailable for the program today. We're on Instagram at rejecting underscore the underscore screen. <laughs> Adam's on Twitter at NaysmithLives. I'm at Noah Kozlov, C-O-S-L-O-V. Make sure you check out everything else on the Locked On Podcast Network. Already told you about Hollinger and Duncan. There's Locked On NBA, the national show, five days a week. Locked On Fantasy Hoops with Josh Lloyd. And then your team every single day. All 30 teams. Every day. And Adam saw a tweet from a gentleman in Portugal who -hmm. was asking for podcast recommendations and, or someone was asking for podcast recommendations and he replied and it was in Portuguese. And he said, locked on thunder also rejecting the screen also mentioned Joe Rogan because we speak slow enough for non English Mm -hmm. as their first language folks to understand. And we don't have accents. Mm Mm-hmm. So whatever forces you to listen, whatever gets you on board, we're happy to have you. Learn to speak English. Learn to speak English. Listening to the Rejecting the Screen podcast and Locked on Thunder. Yeah, Ryland Styles and and the two of us. Adam, thanks, pal. You are the best.